0: Welcome, everyone, to today's podcast, What's Your Delta, MGH Institute's Three Tips for Faculty Development, with your host, Janice Palaganis, who is the Associate Professor of Health Professions Education and the Associate Director of the PhD Program in Health Professions Education, along with Peter Kahn, the Associate Provost for Academic Affairs at the MGH Institute of Health Professions.
1: Peter, it's so great being with you today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. This is so fun, interesting. It's our first podcast.
0: I know. I feel like we're <laughs> at the New Year's Eve celebration with our headsets, <laughs> with commenting our on the <laughs> all <laughs> the floats just, going by. You know,
1: there are simulation studios that have projected, um, like concert, oh, as if so that people can practice under the pressure of being watched or being filmed got so it they've Ma- got, like
0: maybe for the second episode we'll upgrade and, to that one
1: and we did there is a wall too of like um, PR so you could have the PR people in your institution practice what they're going to say uh, like
0: for media training yes
1: isn't that interesting
0: sometimes there's so much simulation you want to say just do the real thing
1: I know I know but, but I guess the so stakes are pretty high really yeah um, so
0: all I remember from a little media training I had was a triangle I don't know what the triangle was, but... they What do tri- you mean?
1: There was a triangle in front of you? When no, you were
0: that was the concept they were trying to get us to remember. Oh. I remembered it, but I didn't remember what it stood for. It's, it's something, you make your point, you do this, and oh, you okay. go back, and you're supposed to have your three things that you want to say. Sure. I think that's what it is.
1: Okay. I like this triangle thing, because the whole point of our podcast is to have three takeaways
0: Mm, and kind of pitch things
1: or things to think about with each topic that we talk about and it it is interesting to think of the triangle as a good way like what's your triangle for this topic what's your triangle
0: what's your (laughs) delta
1: (laughs) oh that's interesting too delta what are the things that change
0: change I think a lot of continuing education is about change changing practice changing behavior
1: so what what would you say are most of the competing priorities that prevent people from jumping, making taking the the uh, jump into enrolling or applying for formal education?
0: Well, I can I'm speaking here without a uh, evidence base. That's always <laughs> dangerous. I haven't I'm sure done you've heard it from all service. the students here. Right. Well I mean of course the students here have decided this is for them so i haven't Uh really we have a bias right (laughs) but i think about myself too and part of it's that identity shift that Mm. i'm a faculty member somewhere i'm a teacher and now i have to see myself in the role of student you know i'm used to grading papers or giving tests i don't want to be taking them Uh that's something for uh, past me when I had a little more patience and a little more humility. Yeah. Now I feel like I have some authority and to go back into the position of novice Uh can be a little bit unsettling.
1: Especially if you've got um, colleagues in that, you know, that you know are also applying or you might know some of the faculty that are in the program that, you know, identity I think becomes even more at play.
0: I wonder if it gets easier, too, if there's a shared identity that you're in a space that encourages that and you can see other people who have gone back for a master's, have gone for a PhD and juggled it alongside their busy clinical career. Mm -hmm. I think then that makes it a little bit easier because that's an acceptable model for you to hold on to in your place of employment.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that is the benefit of our program is we really market it and, you know, Put out there, the tr- we're very transparent of the fact that we've created everything for working individuals. So most of the people that do enroll in the course, the cohorts, their similarities and their you know their competing priorities in their mm-hmm. lives, whether it's family or profession or promotion, and so that is nice that they have this community of practice where they know and can expect that everybody's busy. It's not. You know, people that are because way back in my day when I was getting my Ph.D., the big thing was you had to go full time like they strongly encouraged Uh it. They didn't want working professionals and they were traumatized by people that were enrolled in the program that were working and then dropped out um, in the attrition rate or not completing it within the seven years Uh max or whatever. So, um, you know, I can see how that's a challenge.
0: Right. I hear it among the faculty. I don't know if you've encountered this in some of the teaching you've done, that they're so mindful of the students' competing concerns, but they're also trying to balance the rigor of a graduate program. Right. So particularly PhD level, this has got to be top notch. You're preparing researchers. And then the students saying, oh, it's a lot of work. I've got yeah. a whole nother self that I have to attend to. So how do you make sure that they're getting the rigor so their degree has some meaning while not burning them out or making them incapable of going on?
1: Well, if there's one thing that I've appreciated and has served as a magnet for drawing me here to MGH Institute and working with the Health Professions Education Program, it's this um, realistic perspective on education that is centered on realistic lives or the lives of our learners um whereas the traditional approach was you know do new projects because we want you to be an independent researcher or independent you know we want you to do projects that are new to you created for the purpose of the course that we're teaching Whereas most of our courses here, and I'm sure we're not the only institute or institution that have acknowledged that um, students at the graduate level have their own competing projects that they have to do in their working lives. Um, The fact that we embrace the use of them, um, their projects, their real work projects into their course curricula because that just makes, that sets up for success of yeah, the course. adult learning. They have to do it anyway for their job. They want to do it for their job. Um, why can't we use that as part of the course requirements where they can learn? You know, right. Just integrating their normal lives into the courses that we
0: teach. Well, and you're previewing one of my faculty development tips, which okay. is make it count twice. Uh-huh. And this is true of faculty, even after you Okay, first of all, I PhD. love that
1: phrase, make it count twice, because other people, like the negative phrase would be, don't double dip, <laughs> right? So make it count twice is the reframe, the realistic reframe of something we should be doing.
0: Right, right. I give credit, uh, where I heard it from was from a colleague at Boston University, Sharon Levine, a geriatrician, and she had such a great example. You're not duplicating effort in the sense that you have some project that's going on, say, in your home institution, but you want to bring a scholarly lens to it here. So maybe you're implementing it back home, and then in your graduate program, you're adding some quantitative or qualitative measures and doing analysis. So that's the, the second part, making it count twice. But then she had an example of a program she did with chief residents. You start in one department, and then you do a comparative study to another place, and then you give a platform presentation about it and then you get a grant about it and then you do a paper about it and then it becomes a national so she made it count seven times right yeah. and, and got promotion to full professor on, on many things but on the strength of this one project uh-huh. that she took and nurtured and built and grew until it became this model not everyone can do that not every project deserves seven iterations but why like you say go out and search for some abstract theoretical project when you've got stuff right near you that you can turn into something productive
1: i like that maybe we should call it um make it count more than once or something like
0: that because you don't want to
1: limit to just twice right sometimes twice that
0: was asking a lot you you know you're just like done with something like i don't want to look at that again i don't want to turn it into a poster i don't want to write a paper about it it's just done and i can understand that too
1: yeah I like that. And I think that's great for our listeners that are considering applying for formal programs that to just reframe and don't think that you're adding more work. You're Mm -hmm. just doing the same work, um, but looking at it with a deeper lens.
0: Right. You're making it better. This is stuff presumably you're going to do anyway, or you had the commitment and the energy to get it started. Now make it sustainable. Let other people know. That is, in my mind, the downside of education is that so much of it is sealed Mm -hmm. that only you and your learners see it Mm -hmm. I mean that's why when you think about what are the greatest universities in the world you think about great research institutions Mm -hmm. there may be great teaching going on but you don't see it Mm -hmm. because that's not shared just the people in the room so with education how do you get the visibility Mm -hmm. so that these tenure and promotion committees recognize it you've got to publish you've got to disseminate you've got to play the game of the scholarly literature.
1: Well, that's, you know, it's funny because I love writing. It's one of my, I love being an author. I just, I love the writing process. It helps me think better. Um, Lots of people do not. Mm -hmm. And I'm realizing the majority doesn't, you know, at least with students that I know and clinicians that I know um, going back for their graduate degree, writing is actually one of their least favorite things to do. And I love that you're speaking to the importance of it. Cause I think if people can understand why it's important, perhaps there can be a reframe and, you know, an adoption of, of the passion in writing, which is um, there's so many people reinventing the wheel, reinventing the wheel, reinventing the wheel. And if we could, all just capture what we're doing so that and disseminate that widely, where other people can build on it. Um, education would be a, like such an amazing place.
0: Yeah, and it's not to discount the power of podcasts or uh, videos or blogging or, or social or media, all of that. But yeah. that starts with writing. I mean, you came in here with a Google Doc with talking points that so you did the writing first. That undergirds whatever the artifact is going to be. So it doesn't mean you have to be producing journal articles with multiple authors and long reference lists. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you got to collect your ideas somehow before you can spread them.
1: Yeah. You know, I like that too because, um, you know, my colleague, Walter Epic, who's also um, faculty for the uh, PhD program, he always says, you know, it's not that we're experts at this, you know, whatever we're teaching. It's not that we're experts at this because we have – Um, unique skills it's just because we've had the unique time to think more deeply about this topic Mm -hmm. Um, and that's I think that's what formal education does is it forces you to think more deeply about things and you'll naturally grow in expertise
0: Um, I think it gives you that you mentioned community of practice earlier that's one thing you could probably I don't want to undersell but you could probably do a lot of this on your own if you had the time you could get access to the journal articles and go to conferences and you could figure it out it's not some esoteric knowledge but you don't have that built-in accountability and community that comes from a cohort model Mm -hmm. people who have similar challenges maybe different contexts who can give you feedback who can give you encouragement yeah and that's what we're providing some of that structure
1: i love your that you're saying that because that's my that's one of my tips Uh,
0: oh (laughs) (laughs) I preempted you now.
1: (laughs) Yes, which is feedback. So I think that, you know, we do what we do already. We get paid to do what we do. Our listeners that are out there considering enrolling in a program um, or getting, you know, additional continuing education, they're already getting paid to do what they do. And they have a certain level of expertise because that's what they do on a daily basis. The interesting thing is, like, we spend so much time developing our students um and our trainees whether if we're in the clinical realm Mm -hmm. um and not enough time developing ourselves and i think formal education and continuing education is a way to do that and we don't do it enough um Uh, which is, you know, when you're in formal education, you're getting feedback from your cohort, your community practice, um, from experts, from your professors, from your faculty, like you're getting feedback and you're, it's almost like a gift to ourselves to be able to, like, we're so passionate developing other people. Why not give that gift to ourselves? And, spend some time and dedicate time to allow ourselves to get that same sort of feedback that we are so passionate about giving. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in, in the clinical world, you know, at least in nursing and medicine, which is what I'm closest to and, and um, uh, just kind of disclosing, I, I know enough about interprofessional education, but I have not intimately worked with, you know, other allied health professions like I have with medicine and nursing. But in medicine and nursing, if you are this awesome clinician, you are just like given a trophy and just or told that now you've got to educate the others that we've just hired. And but you don't
0: have any preparation for that.
1: Correct. Like you don't get the You teaching is a whole science.
0: Oh, sure. Just like your profession is you have to go through that formative experience to know the tropes, the the rules, how it works, and and not to downplay continuing education, but I can say I've given so many workshops and talks that are an afternoon or a couple hours, and I can get great student satisfaction ratings, but everyone walks out of there completely unchanged. Mm -hmm. They're going to go back, and they'll say, oh, that was a nice exercise we did, but their behavior continues, Mm -hmm. and there's something just the way humans are wired, it takes a lot to dislodge our patterns. And something like a full-time or even a part-time program that's sustained over months or a couple of years is really going to help rewire those patterns so you do behave differently and adopt those wise practices.
1: Mm-hmm. So I feel like I've just hit on another tip. No, only three. <laughs> for you. you, get <laughs> for you. Oh, for, oh, I can claim that one. Well, <laughs> which is this whole, like, I think... That people who are put in roles that are, that now your role is to also educate, to realize that teaching the way you were taught is not exactly the right way to do it. Um, And that there is a whole science and there are updates in this field constantly, this field of education constantly on what is the best Mm -hmm. methods to educate and you need to educate yourself if you're now in that role.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you've experienced this, but it does strike me as a lot like parenting, that if you don't have formal training, and frankly, who does in parenting, you revert to the models from your own right. childhood, and right. you think about your parents and what they did and what you observed. And I see that with teaching, too. uh
1: uh-huh
0: hopefully some of us have some positive role models in our sort of teaching memory banks and we can try to replicate what they did. But a lot of us went to big lecture halls with the passive transmission of information uh, or the sort of the, uh, they call the sage on the stage where you're just imparting knowledge and that's what you're comfortable with. You just sort of go back to that because you haven't been taught anything else.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, No. And it is similar. Like with parenting, I think, a lot of um, what I've learned, I, I, I almost feel like parenting is a little different in that nobody should ever be told how to parent. Like, <laughs> oh, I disagree I feel with like that. whatever <laughs> works for you is going to work for you. Yet.
0: But like well, education, but, but a lot it's, of myths about parenting. But it's
1: like, it's exactly like education, as you're saying, in that I, I feel like getting your PhD is like you get this whole wardrobe, right? And. And in your PhD, you're getting introduced to everything that's in this closet. And then you are, you can go out in the world and you can choose from that closet what's the best thing to use Mm. um, as you, you know, dress yourself for an event or research or, you know, whatever, if my analogy is working here. (laughs) I think it's the same thing for parenting is like you become a better parent when you know what's out there, how your friends are doing it how your, uh, you know, other people deal with this situation, and just having that nice closet or library of different ways to approach things and testing for yourself what works. Yeah. And I think that is what education will do for people that are in educator roles is to give you tools to figure out. Maybe a toolbox is better than a closet.
0: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Clothes. the color image that the wardrobe conjures <laughs> Hats, up, shoes. right? You and it's also it's context specific. Like sometimes you pull out the the full winter gear oh, with the go. muff and there the hat and gloves, and or sometimes the armor right, and the combat you, boots. right. <laughs> you need a little more protection. <laughs> and other times you can go casual.
1: So to summarize, our three tips.
0: Oh, I remember my first one. Okay. So make it count twice or multiple times. That is something you're already doing. Yeah. It doesn't have to be an add-on. It can be an enhancement.
1: Yeah. I know we're summarizing right now, but I think we talked about making work count twice. But Mm -hmm. I also want to point out those people with families, that is the major competing priority. I just published an article on resilience. And a lot of what I thought about when we were thinking oh. and researching resilience was how to parent like the you know the generations today this is my completely my opinion is you know I do worry about their resilience as they go forward and get hired into jobs and their willingness to just leave a job because they're not happy how do you build that resilience and I thought a lot about my kids as I was thinking about just this topic of resilience and oh. healthcare. so you can bring your family and um, you know challenges in in your family setting to your research as well
0: right I have a as long as we're digressing I yeah. have an inspiring <laughs> example from a colleague we were in grad school together although I was in anthropology she was in engineering and she became a professor at an engineering school and she was on maternity leave and she was nursing her baby daughter who's now in junior high but she was a um, watching tv or reading the sports page and there's something about marathon runners which you know was not her like normal area of research but she does air pollution and she got this idea as she was like thinking about breast milk for her baby and impurity and then marathoning running what's the correlation between marathon times and air pollution
1: that's so cool and
0: she published that This
1: was her. Art. Oh, that's and then so she
0: went when she eventually went back to her lab but she says like that work got her on Time Magazine and Newsweek, and That's the awesome. thing that was inspired by her baby nursing in that time when she was away from her lab, but thinking about other things really opened up a new line of research. And, and now she does some work on um, through the NIH, thinking it was a whole other area about uh, the effects on human health, not yeah. just on the environment.
1: That's so, so anything that, and I'm talking to the listeners now, anything in your life that you're struggling with other people are struggling with too. Mm -hmm. And the more you can research it and figure out solutions, that's what's gonna help the world. And and you can absolutely do that. Make it count twice or make it count more than once. So okay. Tip number one. Okay. Back on track. Um tip number two is to give your uh this was mine, so it's um gift yourself with what you love giving which is developing others. Um, Spend the time to develop yourself. And then tip number three.
0: Was that accountability piece, don't do it alone, because we we know how you're so much more motivated when you have people who are waiting for you, who are cheering you on, who are experiencing some of the same ups and downs as you are. Uh And you can recreate this on your own with some very willing colleagues, but if you join a sort of cohort-based program, you have that built-in squad that helps mm-hmm. you move toward your goals.
1: You could just do your job. Mm-hmm. You could just educate others, but know that there's a whole science to it. Right. And educate yourself. I guess that's part of yeah. tip number two, is it?
0: I think it weaves its way through. I know. The idea of not, not being alone and... Uh, Tapping into all the knowledge that's out there. So, what what's different about the PhD program that we're talking about versus Mm -hmm. the ones that you and I went through Mm -hmm. is the goals. When you're done, is to go back to what you've been doing. Right. For me, it was to launch out of student status and become a faculty member and and move up the ranks. A lot of these uh, matriculants in our program they go back to what they've been doing, but now with Increased Without skills, broader worldview, greater capacity for growth. Yeah. But you're you're not abandoning or launching a new path, you're returning to the old one better and stronger.
1: Oh, that's beautifully said, and I think we should end on that.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thanks, Peter. Oh,
0: my pleasure. Great to talk to you, Janice. All right. Thank you for listening to our podcast, What's Your Delta, MGH Institute's Three Tips for Faculty Development. We hope you come back and listen to our future podcasts with your hosts, Janice Palaganis and Peter Kahn of the MGH Institute of Health Professions.